Everyone's got a brown paper bag over there. That's good. Thanks, Jack. A few leftovers. Give Isaac a spare one for Mel. Shouldn't leave one. All right. The brown paper bag has something special inside it. And it's got the answer to the question of today's lesson. So you can open your bags and tell me what the answer to that question is because it's inside that bag. What are the barriers to evangelism? Huh? The answer is me, me and me. Now I can go home. Question's answered. The question I've got today is barriers to evangelism, but I want to share the story about these little mirrors with you. For some reason, I had a brilliant idea on Wednesday. Well, why, why don't I get these mirrors? That'd be a good idea, Craig. I'll get these mirrors. So on Wednesday, I start ringing the chemist warehouses and say, look, uh, how many compact mirrors do you have? And the guy said, four. Do you have any out the back, you know, a box load? Nope. Can you check your nearest stores? Yep. Then obviously the computer's moved out the back somewhere because he comes back and says, yeah, well, we've got uh, three at Springwood, <laughs> four at Capalabar, um, five at Mount Gravatt. And I'm thinking, oh, dear me, that's not going to cop it. So I hang up. Then I ring another uh, warehouse uh, you got any compact mirrors? Yeah, three. Can you check your other stores for me? Uh, yeah, we've got four here, five there, six there. Did anyone got a box load? Can you check the warehouse? No. So Thursday I decide uh, about lunchtime, look, I better talk to someone in my house who's better at shopping than I am. <laughs> uh, and after discussing the merits of what I wanted to do, we finally got the answer, which was, why don't you go to a $2 shop? Oh, never thought of that. That's a very clever idea. That's what a shopper does, you know, and they know where to go. So I go to his two dollar, find a two dollar shop, Isaac, and I walk in, and I'm down all the, you can know the, the aisles are stacked with stuff. And so I go in there, and oh, I found compact mirrors. And you know what? Look what I found. Point. Accessories. What is going on here? Points, accessories. Couldn't believe it. I had ten. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you know, if I start running around Brisbane buying all the compact mirrors, sure as eggs I'm going to get locked up. <laughs> There's this old dude running around Brisbane buying all the compact mirrors and get his hands on. There's something wrong with him, you know. The cops would be out and locked out. I wouldn't be here today. But then I see that and I'm thinking, oh, isn't that a, a point accessory? Remember that? It's a point accessory. Then I'm thinking, okay, 10. Right, so I go out to the lady at the counter, Isaac, and I say, look, do you have any short, do you have a box out the back of it? 
Oh, I have to get the manager for you. <laughs> so the manager comes out, got a bindi on her forehead. Namaste, namaste. Thank you, Satish. She's namaste, smile on her face. How can I help you? So oh, here's my problem. I need a swag of those things. Oh, let me help you. Have you got a minute? I said, yeah, sure. She said, I'll make a few phone calls. Five phone calls later. She said, can you be back here tomorrow afternoon? I'll have more for you. Wasn't that just amazing? Just amazing. Incredible. Anyway, I've told you the story. The Great Commission, as Isaac said, I don't want you to forget that because when the survey comes around next year, we're going to get it all right here because we're going to know it. It's going to be there every morning tea for us to discuss for this whole year because we'll be talking about evangelism. And so my topic today is barriers to evangelism, which um, those mirrors are going to sit on your desk, sit in your car, they're going to sit everywhere and it's a point accessory, as you now know. Um, it's going to remind you, the barrier to evangelism is meet, meet, meet. Now, what are they? I think they're real. Um, we could just zip our mouths and we'd never be able to evangelise. But I don't think that's what the Great Commission said. Huh? But it's real. It is real. Um, I've just written a few here. Fear of rejection, to mess up somebody's eternity, destiny, is my fault. In other words, I'm trying to convert them and, you know, it mucks things up, doesn't work out. It's all my fault. Interrupting somebody's life, losing a friendship. Oh, I'm fearful of offending somebody. Um, fear what others will think about me. I'm stuck with unanswerable questions. Oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, what? <laughs> me, Evangela? I'm just, I'm just not that good. Being seen as arrogant. Who do you think he is? Some righteous person that can talk about Jesus to me? Fear of being kicked out of my family. Been there, done that. Fear of my own weakness. Hypocrisies and adequacies. Doubt and not being certain about my own beliefs. Guilt. And fear of being called a hypocrite. All these things are real. Absolutely real. And... You know, when I look at them, I can think, you know, there's answers to all those. I can give you a scripture which answers every one of them. Does that solve the problem for you? No, one. you think that's going to help you in your guilt? Oh, you've got mountains of it. But is it going to help you? Probably not. Because if I ask each of you to write down your barrier of why you will not evangelise, there will be 70 different Problems. And I know we can solve them if we address them one by one. But clearly, there are issues. So my challenge today, let's talk about some of the uh, challenges we've seen in the past. Now, fear, fear is a terrible thing. Um, it's different than nerves. I'm, I'm nervous as we'll get out standing here. Um, a lot of us that preach and teach have nerves. What fear does, it's different to nerves. Nerves are unnatural in evangelism. I read while I was researching this, evangelism is two uncomfortable people having a conversation. 
That's a nice way of looking at it. Two uncomfortable people having a conversation. That's evangelism. Um, Fear, in contrast to nerves, is letting your nerves and emotions paralyse you from obeying God. And it's allowing very specific fears and the unpleasant possibilities and emotions surrounding them to control your actions. That's what fear is. It paralyses you. It stops you. Overcoming fear looks like choosing to speak through my feelings of fear. It looks like acting like Jesus would help me even when in the moment I don't feel like he would. It looks like asking uh, that conversation-shifting question about spiritual things even if it meant I feel awkward. The apostles had barriers. Here, Paul writes to Timothy, who was in prison. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Despite the, the barriers of being in chains, he can still say the word of God is not bound. And he gets Timothy to focus on, look at the great plan, the salvation that is in Christ. The reason all of us sit here together is because of the salvation in Christ that we have. And we're excited about it, are we not? Because we know what's happening in our lives. And again, you know, Paul writes, when, uh, well not Paul writes, Luke writes, but then he's talking about Paul, then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, doesn't matter. I pray to God that not only you but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for the chains. The barriers of the chains are irrelevant. He can talk. He can still show that God loves him and he prays to God. This is getting God on board with this. I pray to God that not only you but all who are listening to me today He acknowledges God's role in this whole process. Then we look at Paul talking to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, 7 and 9. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to his holy calling. And why would he be saying that to Timothy? Timothy's a young fella. And he's out there trying to get, preach the gospel. I have no doubt he's getting criticism. Who do you think you are, you young bloke? And here's Paul encouraging him, do not be ashamed. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about Jesus. Nor of me. But share, but share in suffering 
for the gospel and the power of God. Paul writes 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. The Gospel tells me that I'm not my own. For I was bought with a price. I belong to Jesus. He has bought me for his purpose. Joy of knowing and being like our loving God in his outgoing mission to bring many sons to glory. The Gospel also tells me that Jesus himself is the one who came to seek and save the lost. And guess what? He lives in me, according to Luke. He lives in me. Christ, the ultimate seeker of the lost, living in me. He has the power to make a seeker of the lost. These truths, these truths, slowly but surely begin to help us arrange our lives around Jesus' mission. Paul writes, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It's all of us. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself. No, Christ God reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. And of course the next verse says, we are ambassadors for Christ. Note this, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We've talked before about being an ambassador. You go to a foreign country and you get into trouble, you go to the ambassador. He will speak, he will protect you, he will look after you on behalf of your home country. We go out and we speak on behalf of Christ. We defend him, we hold him up. We are the protector for Christ. That's the ambassador that we are and we note that God is working through us. We're there to help that appeal, the message of reconciliation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 6 to 9, Paul writes, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive their wages according to their labour. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. In describing the work of evangelism, Paul wrote, I planted... Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. His point was that he and Apollos were simply to be engaged in the work 
and leave the increase, as it says in the King James, in the hands of God. The reality is that there are certain things that are out of our control. Especially when it comes to the interest of those who we are trying to reach. But Paul was not focused on final results. <laughs> he wasn't focused on that. He was focused on his work. What am I doing? Huh? He was doing that because he could control that. Him. He's got the mirror. It is tempting to focus so much on results that we are either tempted to compromise the gospel in order to win more converts or we get discouraged when we do not see the fruit produced that we would hope to see. Recently, we at the point, it's a year of evangelism, we let a box the whole area. Didn't we, Isaac? For a luncheon, how many people turned up? Very disappointing. Very sad. Does that mean I just pack up and go home? No. Means I think differently and find another way. Thankfully, more recently, um, we received a gift from the Wyndham trustees um, purposed for evangelism. So we're going to try newspaper advertising, inviting people to come in the Redland Bay area, visit us. That might work. I hope it does. If it doesn't, Craig's going to come up with another idea and we're going to do that. We just keep trying. We are focused on the work. Let God have the results. I have no doubt there are people who picked up our flyers out there, Isaac, would have read it and it might have... Ooh, never thought about that. But guess what? They would never have done that unless the flyer was in the letterbox. Yes, we didn't see results. But God sees them. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. If you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul reminds us to constantly keep God in the forefront of our minds. And I kind of suspect if we do that, we're going to overcome all the barriers that we want because we're constantly going to God and saying in prayer, this is what I'm trying to do in terms of outreach. This is who I'm trying to get up with. This is who I'm trying to help. Front of mind. All the time. We simply need to train our minds to look for opportunities that arise to talk about the Bible, religion, the church, God, etc. We have already noticed Peter's instruction about being ready always to give an answer. And in order to not just be ready to give an answer, but to actually give the answer, 
We need to do what he said earlier in the same epistle. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. From 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 about the mind of Christ, which we are all encouraged to have. The mind of Christ. What is that? What is the mind of Christ? It means that every, everything we look at, when we look at life, we would look at, look at as Jesus does. Seeing life as he sees it. It is seeing what is really there and not what it seems to be there. Seeing what really is important, not what looks to be important. In terms of psychology, we talk about the law of concentration. It states that whatever we dwell upon grows in our life experience. Whatever we dwell upon grows in our life experience. Whatever we think about our continual basis becomes part of us. Yes, we become what we think. And the more we dwell on something, the more we have it in our lives. You've all heard me talk before about the front of mind thinking about pregnant women and me and my mini mic. That problem solved because someone, after hearing my lesson, gave me a little mini mic which is still sitting on my desk and I look at it every day and I got my mini mic. But the front of mind thinking is, it's always there. I'm always thinking. I'm always looking for opportunities. If we prepare ourselves to act and we keep our hope continually at the forefront of our minds, we'll be better able to notice and take advantage of opportunities to reach out to others with the gospel. We need to be aware of the situations we find ourselves in so we can use them to the best of our abilities. I've got two recent examples um, that I want to share with you that I think are just fantastic. We had our um, um, little sausage sizzle up at Caloundra and we're all sitting there enjoying ourselves and some fella walked over who was obviously looking for a church group, um, saw us and we all looked like a church group. So he meanders over and said, are you a church group? Yeah, we're at the church group. He was. Isaac took the opportunity to have a chat with him, talked about our church, talked about where we meet. He was ready to give an answer about who we were sitting around their sausage sizzle having a sausage. Mind you, I think it was the dog that attracted him, but anyway, he came anyway. There's plenty of time patting the dog, but ready to give an account. We talk here about being able to notice and take advantage of opportunities. This week, um, on Thursday, Hilda and I were out having coffee with others and... uh, Amongst the others that were with us was Miss Daisy. And of course Miss Daisy was sitting at the end of the table and there was a, an elderly couple sitting over here and uh, were, Mrs Daisy was entertaining them and they were leaning over. Look at Miss Daisy, isn't she a happy child? And we're saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course my wife who's sitting beside me said, um, I see your believers. Got this whopping crosses on here. I see your believers. Oh, yes, we are. Oh, good. Where do you live? Berkta. Oh, good. Do you know our church? It's in Maroondoo Drive. You can come on Sundays or first Sunday of the month. 
Come and have lunch with us. Now, the moral of that story is, take Miss Daisy out. Because <laughs> the old people love her. And it'll create an opportunity for you to have a chat about a wonderful creation called Miss Daisy. See, I can, you can go with that anywhere. But it was their crosses that gave them away. But they were believers of some description. Right? Forefront of mind, opportunity to think and talk about Christ. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 and 17, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What an exciting looking picture that is. Singing psalms and hymns, spiritual songs with thankfulness, giving thanks all the time to God, like me standing around in a blinking two dollar shop thinking, what's going on here? God, thank you for this. Our failure to make our faith look desirable Jesus and the early church did not have this problem. They were infectious with their joy, loving in their actions and confident with their hope in heaven. Most people do not buy the gospel today because they no longer trust religious institutions. But that trust for us can be earned with sincere contact, persistent communication and being there when we need it. That will get the trust. In the short term, possibly not. In the long term, possibly. Trust doesn't take five minutes. That's Paul highlights. The barriers to evangelism, I think, are summed up in this. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and dominion forever. The beauty of our family here at the point is every one of you has a gift that can be shared. And I have no doubt if Jan Bowles trying to reach out to someone and she's struggling, there is someone in this church that can help Jan solve the problem. But two things need to happen. One is Jan's got to talk about it. And two, people need to help her. Not everybody can do that. But there are some in here who can. And we just need to be mindful of that. Because those barriers that we talked about, I'm not dismissing them because they're real for a lot of people. What we need to do is find solutions. And the only solution we've got is in God through his family in the church. We can do it, whatever that looks like. We need to be mindful 
and I, I think I read the words of uh, Mark Deaver in his book, The Gospel and Personal Evangelism. Regarding evangelism, be of comfort even when we are faithfully sowing the seeds and yet not seeing many results. He writes, The Christian call to evangelise is not simply a call to persuade people to make decisions, but rather to proclaim to them the good news of salvation of Christ, to call them to repentance, to give God the glory for regeneration and conversion. We do not fail in our evangelism if we faithfully tell the gospel to someone who is not subsequently converted. We do fail only if we do not faithfully tell the gospel at all. 